EQ, the great thing about it is you can grow it. You can increase your emotional intelligence. You're not stuck. It's dynamic skills that you apply as the situation warrants. Once you're aware what these skills are and how you can use them, you can't unknow this information. So your brain is going to take this in and it's going to start applying it whether or not you're consciously telling yourself, okay, make sure you remember your EQ skills. No, you're going to think of something either in the moment or in a moment of reflection and you're going to say, oh, you know what? That would have been a good time to use that one skill. So tell me, Kylie, why are you excited about today's episode? Because we're talking about EQ. Uh, What is EQ? Well, it is all things having to do with your emotions. And if we are talking about keeping our composure, right, because we're in the composure domain, two of the core tenets are emotional awareness and stress management. And both of those have everything to do with emotions. Emotions cause stress and us being aware of how our emotions affect us is vitally important if we want to keep our composure. So if somebody came up to you on the street and said, hey, Kylie, tell me what EQ means or what the definition of EQ is, what would you say? It's understanding how emotions impact your ability to make decisions, solve problems, interact with other people, and show up as the person that you want to be. All right, so we are still in the composure domain, which is your ability to stay calm and in control when facing stress or adversity. It helps you recognize and understand emotional reactions and allows you to respond quickly to regain your composure. So Kylie, why is EQ important to the composure domain? In any challenging situation, you're going to have negative emotions that you have to deal with. And you have to be aware of the emotions. You've got to be able to work yourself through the emotions and then reframe how you're thinking about negative situations in a way that's productive and helps you move through it. So emotions are essentially the unknown variable in all of this because you don't know how you're going to feel when you face adversity and how you feel directly impacts how you respond and behave. And so if we can get a better understanding of our emotions and how they're impacting our decision-making, our problem-solving, and how we show up on a day-to-day basis, well, then we can we get the cheat code, right? Like, it is either going to be a productive mechanism that helps us grow and develop, or emotions are going to be unproductive and it's going to hold us back and keep us in this negative negative energy where we don't know how to mobilize and move forward. That's super interesting. You just said emotions can be beneficial for success? Yeah. I mean, think about motivation. Motivation is an emotion. It's just an excitement for whatever you're doing. And we think of motivation as like, oh, I need a carrot to make me do something, right? I need a reward or something extrinsic. But emotion is really an internal feeling that you can cultivate. 
And so that's a productive emotion that helps us get shit done. Feeling unmotivated is just being in some kind of negative emotional state that you can't snap yourself out of. You can't work your way through it. So being able to understand, verbalize, name, and work through your emotions helps you become more successful. Yep. It's fascinating. Just a heads up, this episode is going to get pretty granular. We're going to be in the weeds with all sorts of EQ definitions. So just know if this gets confusing or if it feels overwhelming, go to the link in the show notes to get a visual of this EQ model so that you can follow along a little bit easier. That and take some notes. That, that always helps me because the concepts all build on each other. It all compounds. So it's vital to understand what Kylie's talking about during this part. And this is really just a surface level overview of the EQ model. What we're going to cover in today's episode is a less in-depth version of the material that I would cover in an EQ workshop. If you wanted to bring this to your organization, if you yourself want to dive further into the weeds on EQ, there's a lot of great books out there. This model is based off of the book called The EQ Edge, which we're going to link in the show notes. So I think that's a great starting point if you want to learn more. All right, let's do this thing. I'm Chris. And I'm Kylie. And this is Redefining Resilience. Where we explore what it means to build a resilient lifestyle. So you can thrive in any and every situation. So how did you get into this? Because you're pretty passionate about it. You're extremely knowledgeable about it. But what led you here? Uh, I took a test and found out that my empathy was low and my social responsibility was very low. So back up even before that, why did you take the test? Uh, We were interviewing a prospective new team member and they had to do a presentation and he chose to do his presentation on emotional intelligence and he gave us an assessment beforehand So it was like it was by chance that I happened to be like thrust into emotional intelligence. And then after I got my assessment results back, I was kind of shocked because one indicated that my self-awareness was low because I thought I was a pretty empathetic person. No, no, I was not. My empathy was very low. And who knows how that was showing up for me. In business interactions, in prospect meetings, in just everyday interactions with my friends, my family, I was pretty shocked, honestly. But it didn't show up to the point that you were like, hey, I need to fix this thing. You thought that you were above or at minimum baseline for empathy and social responsibility like those those weren't red flags for you so you took a test right it was surprising to you afterwards yeah it was a red flag (laughs) I was like shoot I have some things I need to work on and then I immediately because you know it's an emergency and finding out that I have flaws 
is a huge problem. So I... I got over that a long time ago. Yeah, well, <laughs> so anyway, I went on this quest to at least solve this emotional intelligence problem that I had on my hands. And so I got certified and was, you know, intensely submerged into the EQ world by some very knowledgeable instructors. And this was during COVID. So I was like quarantined and going through this assessment. So like talk about an EQ like stress test, I actively had to apply everything I was learning in this like deeply reflective time I think we all had. So I spent a lot of time just reading and digesting this information. And then from there, I was like obsessively reflecting on my own behavior. And anytime my friends would come across situations, I'd be like, oh, tell me what's going on. I'll EQ you. I'll I'll give you the EQ narrative of what's at play here and what skills are being used too much or not enough. And we'll digest it and pick it apart. And it it's like film study. So another question I have is, because we're talking about emotions, what did that do to you emotionally whenever you found out you were low in those two things that you didn't think you were low in? And what did you do with that? Like, what's the first step once you get kind of knocked down off your internal pedestal? Not that I, not yeah. that you were walking around thinking you were great, but no, it's I like, did, actually. if you thought you were awesome or <laughs> yeah. you were good or okay in these areas, and then you take a test and you find out not only are you not, you scored in the bottom portion of it. It's like, well, shit, that's a kick in the pants, man. I love so, how you're just like repeating this over and over. Well, <laughs> I just, I think it's really important to understand like the entire process. Well, you know, my gut reaction was to say, well, this test is bullshit, but I know it's not. So I had to. This <laughs> test is bullshit. Yeah. I had to accept the fact that. All right, this objective assessment is bringing up results that I'm not happy about. And so I had to do something about that. So you I, were, you I wasn't were, okay being below average. You made the conscious decision to do something to better yourself in an area that you were lacking in. Yes, and luckily in one of the five like skill groups of EQ, there is a skill called self-actualization, which is our pursuit to attain our potential. Basically, you want to grow, you want to learn, you want to work on yourself and personally develop because you have this desire intrinsically. So this is a skill that actually can be cultivated. Mine already was very high. It's one of my highest skills. So I have this like constant desire to grow and to learn. And luckily, you know, I think that is the fuel behind a lot of my desire to learn and work on myself. So when I hear new information or I learn something exists out there, I want to go like headfirst into it. And learn as much as I can. That also could be the ADHD. I don't know. <laughs> or both. Well, you're intrigued by it, yeah. right? You don't dump all that time and energy into shit you don't care about. Right. And I think if it's something that could benefit me or make me a better human, I'm all in. I, I want to know as much as I can and figure out how to apply it as quick as I can. You think that's 
Because of your self-actualization. Yeah, I definitely do. So just know that that is a skill and it can be grown. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, but I just don't care about IQ or EQ or any of the stuff that they're talking about, that's fine. Just know that that may be one of the skills that you might want to you might want to reflect on. That might be something that could be volumed up. So there's five building blocks of EQ. The first one, which is foundational, is self-perception. This is how we view ourselves. It's all about our interpretation of us. The second one is self-expression. This is how we show up. Third one is interpersonal. And this is how others perceive us. We'll get into each of these a little bit more. I just kind of want to give you an intro of where we're going. The next one is decision making. It's how we think through decisions. And a lot of that we'll cover in the reasoning domain of resilience. So you may feel like some of this stuff is a little bit repetitive It needs to be because if you're going to soak in new information, you have to hear it multiple times. So hang with us. If you remember something that we've already talked about, that's awesome. Not everybody retains information the first time they hear it. So we have to say things multiple ways, multiple times in order to make it stick. I had to hear all this stuff over and over again. I think if you look at the wheel of resilience that we have on our website, um, it's more of a meshed color lines in between each all of them. They all kind of bleed together. Yeah, it's all very much an interrelated system. Yeah. And then stress management is our last building block of EQ. So we're going to go through these building blocks and talk about the skills within each one. Each one of the building blocks has three skills inside of it. So super easy. There's 15 total skills. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk through some examples of how you can apply these skills and put EQ into action. All right. So first one, self-perception. This is how we view ourselves, right? If we're going based off of using the words and putting common sense together. In the self-perception building block, we've got three skills. Self-regard, self-actualization, and emotional self-awareness. The first skill is self-regard, which is how we perceive our strengths and our weaknesses. It's associated with having feelings of confidence. And that doesn't mean you have eliminated your weaknesses. It doesn't mean that you beat yourself up for your weaknesses. It just means you're okay with who you are and you've you've developed a confidence and you know your limitations. So if somebody said, hey, Chris, you're really shitty at building cabinets. It doesn't hurt my feelings because I'm just not good at building cabinets. Right. Your self-regard isn't hinging on your ability to be great at everything. Yeah. So just an understanding of what you're good at, what you're not good at, and no emotional connection to each. Yeah. Yeah. And having self-respect and being okay with your limitations because we can't all be great at everything. That's not realistic. Okay. Next one is self-actualization. We touched on this a little bit, but the official definition, it's your willingness to persistently try to improve yourself 
and engage in the pursuit of meaningful and relevant goals that lead you to a great life. And it was cool because I remember the the first time I said the words self-actualization to you and you're like, what? And I told you what it was and you're like, that's a skill. Oh, it blew my mind. Yeah. It was always really hard for me to deal with people that I could see they had a bunch of talent and see that they could do things I would never be able to accomplish. And I thought that was because they were lazy, but it makes way more sense understanding that self-actualization is a skill they just have not learned yet or have not cultivated past the level of one or zero. Yeah. So. (laughs) Okay. So our last skill within the self-perception block is emotional self-awareness. This is recognizing and understanding your own emotions. This is hard. So not only is it understanding your emotions, it's understanding how they're impacting you and how they're impacting your interactions with other people. So your triggers. Ooh, yeah, it's 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 in there for sure. We'll see a little bit more with triggers in a different block under decision-making because there's a lot of times where emotions can cloud our ability to make good decisions. So, yes, it's all super interrelated. Okay, any questions before we move on? No, I'm just soaking it all up over here. Okay. Well, and you have read the book, so. I have. So our next building block... Number two is self-expression. In the self-expression block, we've got emotional expression, assertiveness, and independence. Emotional expression is our first one, which is being able to openly express verbally and non-verbally your emotions. And it's important to think about both because if you're not saying you're upset, and your body language is telling me you're upset about something, I can easily tell we've got something going on. Once you learn how people react in their body, it's really easy to tell what people are thinking. Oh, yeah. There's a lot that goes into emotional expression with ourselves and in being able to read others. But first, in order to be able to better read other people's self-expression, you have to be able to express your own emotions. What do you mean by that? Dance around the fire, well, how, how upset you are. How can I notice that you're upset about something if I don't even notice when I'm in a mood about something? So learning, I understand as a man this is difficult because <laughs> I was not taught this. Not all men, but me and the ones I know. How to verbalize emotions. It is literally like... I've lost all ability to communicate sometimes. Yeah. I don't have I don't have words. So learning how to do that is a feat in and of itself. Yeah. Second skill is assertiveness. This is you being able to communicate your feelings, your beliefs, your thoughts openly and being able to defend your rights or your values in a way that is socially acceptable not offensive, and doesn't damage relationships. That is a 
solid ass caveat to the end of that. I know, right? <laughs> no, I think that's worth reading again. I mean, socially acceptable way to to verbalize somebody stepping on your rights. Like, yeah. What an interesting concept for well, the world we live in. I mean, just think about why people are so entertained by reality TV. It's because people don't have these things in check. And what we end up seeing on TV is just a shit show of emotions that people don't know how to control. I just remember watching like Real Housewives of some city and somebody like threw a table at a dinner like that is a great example of poor assertiveness. You're you're expressing yourself, but you're not doing it in a way that is socially acceptable, not offensive, and is very damaging to potential relationships. So assertiveness on the base level, if I just look at it, I do not think of assertiveness with those contexts. I don't break down the word assertiveness yeah. to that. So that's interesting that it is actually completely opposite of what I think of assertive. I think assertiveness is more authoritarian yeah. than what we're talking about. Yeah, like you are demanding respect and saying this is how things are going to go. It's asserting your dominance or your authority. And that's really not the EQ definition of assertiveness because there's a way to get stuff done and then there's a better way that gets stuff done more efficiently. And I think of the EQ version of assertiveness as being a more efficient way of leveraging your assertiveness to get where you want to go, but faster because you're using emotions in a productive way. Well, you don't live in a vacuum. Right. It's not just your emotions that are in play. It's everybody else's. Yeah. So learning how to manage those and your counterparts. Yep. And then independence is the third skill under self-expression, and this is your ability to be self-directed, not needing emotional dependency of others, taking initiative, being able to make decisions and plan and complete daily tasks autonomously. Next building block is our interpersonal building block. We've got interpersonal relationships empathy, and social responsibility. The first skill in the interpersonal block is interpersonal relationships. And if that sounds redundant, it's because it is. But really, at the core of the interpersonal skills is your interpersonal relationships, which is our ability to develop and maintain mutually beneficial relationships that are built on trust and compassion. That's a... Interesting concept that emotional intelligence, part of it, the caveat is mutually beneficial relationships. Mm -hmm. Well, and it says mutually satisfying, beneficial, satisfying, whatever word you want to put in there. But I, I think in order for a relationship to be satisfying, you have to have some benefit coming from it. Whether it's that per being around that person makes me happy, makes me feel joyful. They're always positive and uplifting. You know, it doesn't have to be that you're getting money out of a relationship or you're getting, you know, something tangible out of it. It could be something like you just enjoy their company. Yeah, but that's still a benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. The next skill within the interpersonal block is empathy. And before I give the official definition, I'm curious, Chris, like what have you thought of empathy throughout your life? Maybe it's changed since you've read the book, but maybe prior to reading the book or what your understanding of empathy was would be helpful for our audience to hear. 
I always thought of empathy as my ability to understand and even slightly feel somebody's emotions in a situation. Like I might not understand why XYZ makes somebody upset, but I can understand that it does. I don't have, I don't have to understand the feelings, but I can conceptualize that it's bothering them. I can see it and I can understand it. Therefore I can make decisions based on their emotional connection to Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. You have a pretty sophisticated interpretation of empathy. I've had people, maybe a common misperception is thinking that empathy is sympathy. And those are very different. Vastly. So the definition of empathy is being able to recognize, understand, and appreciate how other people feel. It's being able to articulate your understanding of another's perspective and behaving in a way that respects the other person's feelings. It doesn't mean I have to agree with what somebody is saying, but I think of it as I respect the fact that everybody gets to have an opinion. Well, I think it's it's worth restating that doesn't mean you agree with everybody's opinion because you allow them to say it doesn't mean you agree with it, but you allow them to say it. Yeah, and I respect the fact that they're coming from a perspective that is different from my own and probably means that I have an opportunity to get curious and learn more. If I don't understand it, it's my cue to just try to get curious. I don't have to agree. I don't have to pick it apart. I just accept it and recognize that they have a different lens that they're looking through than I am. Our third skill of the interpersonal block is social responsibility. This is our willingness to contribute to society, to social groups, and to the general welfare of others. It involves acting responsibly, having social consciousness, and showing concern for the greater community. So great example of somebody who might be high in social responsibility, people who recycle, people who volunteer at their church or at a nonprofit organization, people who are trying to take care of others are great role models for what social responsibility is all about. Our next block is the decision-making block, and within the decision-making block, we've got problem-solving, reality testing, and impulse control. Our first skill is problem solving, which is your ability to find solutions to problems in situations where emotions are involved. It includes your ability to understand how the emotions impact decision making. So it's wise for us to just pause and think about, okay, how is this decision going to affect the people that are going to have to do this job or going to be impacted by it? You have to factor that in because you make decisions without thinking about the feelings of the people involved. You could have some very upset teammates. Well, I think that tends to be why people that make decisions without thinking it all the way through are concerned or confused whenever it quote unquote blows up in their face. 
Yeah. It could have been well thought out, well logically worked through, but when you implement it, you didn't take into account any of the emotions attached to. I mean, there's probably how many decisions you've worked with that came from the top down that were like, what the hell are we doing right now? Because it, it makes sense on a 30,000 foot level, but implementation it's all emotion because you're actually dealing with the client or actually putting the process into play. And when they didn't factor in the emotional volatility or ability of their staff to actually implement it, it just falls apart. Our second skill within decision-making is reality testing. And this is a big one. This is our capacity to remain objective, seeing things as they really are. This capacity involves recognizing when emotions or personal bias can cause somebody to be less objective. This is essentially our ability to sort through reality and the delusions that we create in our head. And we all create delusions. This is where I can see how for a long time we believed that emotions were just pure volatility because it does tend to jade your decision-making skills. So I could see how somebody could blanketly say, emotions cloud your thinking, so therefore they're all bad. It's a great point. And they're not. Your emotions are, to a degree, a response that you have created to a specific stimulus, and your brain has been programmed probably from a young age, to respond that way to that emotion in such a way that you initially responded. It's all just a matter of protecting yourself. Yep. So your body's built these emotional responses in order to protect you from harm emotionally, physically, mentally, or morally. Just It's literally a wall of defense. Yep. This reality testing skill is Crucially important, especially if you deal with any kind of anxiety, whether it is I have anxious thoughts from time to time or I am medicated every day dealing with anxiety on a day-to-day basis. Reality testing is your antidote. It allows us to actually sort through our emotions in an objective way and say, okay, That emotion is not productive for me. That story I'm telling myself based off of that emotion isn't real. So our last skill of decision making is impulse control. This is our ability to resist or delay an impulse, a drive or temptation to act and involves avoiding rash behaviors and decision making. I think of this skill as pressing the pause button before you do anything drastic. So I tell my kids a lot, the best decision or best thing to say in a situation you feel pressed in is the one you think about a little bit longer. The one that comes straight to your tongue or your noggin probably is not the one you need to fire off with because you're in defense mode. If somebody presses you, and you immediately land on something and vomit it out, you're you're probably not going to be too happy with the way that works out. It might be exactly what you want to say, 
But the problem is you're dealing with another human and another set of emotional volatility. So uh, you need to figure out what you want out of that situation. You want to go to war with them? Say the first thing that comes to your head. Uh, that's almost all of the things on television now is people just going to fucking war with each other because it's all emotional responses. There's no impulse control. I mean, some of the stuff I've heard, I stopped watching the news a long time ago because it just became so cartoonish. Yeah. It was just straight impulses and it was almost no logic behind any of it. I had a previous boss who <laughs> got frustrated with the printer because it wasn't printing and kicked it like that was going to make the printer print. Also punched a bookshelf because he was frustrated. Again, these are examples of a serious lack of impulse control. It's not a productive use of your energy or emotions. Well, I think we have to go through a learning curve with that as well. I mean, I've punched several doors in my life. Uh, Did you win? I've broken every single finger on my hand multiple times. Yeah. Um, Probably didn't make anything better. <laughs> no, I punched a staircase once and my pinky looked like it was out of a cartoon Yeah, when I was done. <laughs> One hit and snapped my pinky. The issue isn't that emotions are bad. It's that once that wave overtakes you, you got to be able to, like you said, press the pause button. What do I do with this? Is punching the staircase going to do anything? Or how have I let myself get to this position? What do you think? Do you think most people are presented in life with a situation that warrants flying off the handle? Or do you think that that's just a accumulation of other decisions that we failed to make better decisions on and it's like coming to a peak? Yeah, it's definitely the latter. But these are great examples because I could never see you punching a staircase now. Like, it just wouldn't happen because you've no. worked on your impulse control over the years and you now know more productive ways to deal with it. It's like, all right, I need to go take a shower and just cool off or I need to go for a walk. I'm going to take the dogs out. You have mechanisms in place to help you work through your emotions even on the most frustrating days or the most upsetting days. And so you're never going to be punching a staircase again because you've worked on this. And it's why I love this model so much is because you are living proof that you can work on these things. You can change. You're, just because you punched a staircase 10 years ago or however long that was – doesn't mean you're doomed for forever and have anger management issues the rest of your life. This is all ever-changing. I think the most important concept to understand is you're not going to fix that situation in that situation. I'm not going to become better at impulse control when I've failed to do all the things to stop me from getting to losing my shit. You can't stub your toe and then learn. You have to learn before you stub your toe. You have to learn before the catalyst. So you build the processes in your brain that when it does happen, you can go, whoa, 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 rein it back in. Well, and part of your learning process had to be breaking the pinky and then having to suffer because you broke the pinky. Like That was part of how you learned that that course of action did not prove to be productive for you. It's the regret that you had after that event that changed your future behavior. So regret as, you know, 
shitty as it is, it does allow you an opportunity to choose a different path next time around consciously. Isn't that what Buddha says? It It is pretty Buddhist. I like yeah. that. Buddha's great. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. We're on the home stretch here. We're moving into the stress management block, which consists of flexibility, stress tolerance, and optimism. Our first skill is flexibility. This is adapting our emotions, thoughts, and behaviors to unfamiliar, unpredictable, and dynamic circumstances or ideas. Like, if there's anything that I think we as a collective have all had to uh, develop as a result of COVID, it was our flexibility. Everything about our daily lives as we knew it got completely uprooted and flipped upside down. You can even go to the grocery store and pick up a banana in the same way that you were used to doing it. So all of these automatic processes that we were used to executing without having to think about it, we're now having to think about. Which I think was an extreme benefit. I mean, for me personally, because it literally revamped the reason I do everything that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to be really conscious about a lot of things. Anything that causes you to have some uh, introspections, I think, is a really good thing. It tends to be pretty healthy. Yep. And I think what's cool about that, and we don't give enough emphasis on this, but part of being flexible is changing your mind. You mean you're not always right all the time through all extenuating circumstances and years? I am, but most people know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think if you ask anybody that's intelligent, I work with several doctors, far more intelligent than I will ever be. I've never heard any one of them say, I know everything. In fact, all of them at some point in time in some way have said, the more that I know, the more I don't know. Mm-hmm. Which is beautiful. These people are the most intellectual people on the planet, rebuilding hearts and lungs. And they're like, listen, bud, there's shit out there I I don't even know how to talk about. It's fascinating. We could probably spend an entire episode on flexibility, which we probably will. But next skill is stress tolerance. And this is our ability to cope with stressful or difficult situations and believing that we can manage or influence situations in a positive way that's us not taking the position of being a victim and saying i know this is a stressful situation but i'm going to control what i can control and then our final skill our 15th skill that we've talked about now in this episode last one we're going to end it on a high note because it's optimism Mm. this is An indicator of your positive attitude and outlook on life. It's remaining hopeful and resilient despite occasional setbacks. Optimism is one of the core skills that contributes to your overall happiness. There's a Disney movie called Tangled, and in one of the songs, he uses the phrase uh, grotesquely optimistic. And I absolutely, well, first off, that movie's awesome. And second off, I love that line. I would rather be grotesquely optimistic than moderately pessimistic. 
not that I assume the best out of everybody. In fact, Kylie will tell you, I don't tend to let a lot of people into the circle, but I don't tend to think everybody's evil. I just don't let them in real deep, you know? And life's pretty fucking good. If you focus on the good, you're going to look and find the good. Exactly. So. That is, is is confirmation bias. Our brain is programmed to look for whatever we tell it to look for. So if you're always saying to yourself, oh, this always happens to me. I have the worst luck. Guess what you're going to find? All the shitty things are just going to stand out to you throughout the day. If you say... I have the best luck. I'm so lucky. You're going to always have great things happening to you, and you're going to be like, this is amazing. So if nobody believes that this is real, here's something that proves that this works instantly. Tell yourself you're going to go out and buy a red Toyota Corolla. And when you drive down the road, think about, man, how exciting is it going to be to have that red Toyota Corolla? I'm excited about my red Toyota Corolla. You will see every single fucking red car on the road and be like, holy shit, there's a lot of red Toyotas out there. Because your body, your mind is saying, I'm focused on red Toyota Corollas and you're going to pick them out. Well, I mean, That's- we all can go back to when you get a new car, you're you're seeing your car everywhere. Because that's confirmation bias in your brain. Yeah. I think it's really easy for us to say that doesn't work because the concept's too conceptual or it's not realistic because it has to do with emotions. The problem is, is it's very realistic and us negating the fact that it's real makes it detrimental to us. So I just wanted to give you a real example of, yes, this actually works. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, we've gone through the 15 skills. We're going to dig into a couple exercises. So come back for more next week. Thanks for listening to Redefining Resilience. To learn more about building your mental and physical readiness, check out odysseyresilience.org. And follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. Gotta love that chocolate milk.